Welcome to this podcast of Mercy Unbound. Today, I get to speak with James Hunter, author, management consultant, and um, we're going to talk about a book he wrote, The Servant, a simple story about the true essence of leadership. We're going to talk about the difference between management and leadership, power and authority, where love and character and humility fit into all this. It's a great show. Please subscribe and enjoy this episode of Mercy Unbound. Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Brian Thatcher, and welcome to Mercy Unbound. It's a series that aims to provide hope, an avenue for healing, and one that will help you understand and then live the great mercy of God. With me today, I have a gentleman, read his book several years ago. I was up in Michigan speaking outside Grand Rapids and a guy came up to me after the talk and said, read this book. I I think it's tremendous. I think you'll uh, really enjoy it. And I really did. And uh, I bought copies and gave it to all my kids and friends. And um, it's, it's called The Servant, a simple story about the true essence of leadership, The Servant. And uh, James Hunter is the author, principal consultant of J.D. Hunter and Associates outside Detroit. And uh, I asked him on today to share with us the principles that he speaks about in the book, uh, because it goes countercultural in many ways, and yet it makes so much sense. Uh, So welcome to Mercy Unbound, uh, Jim. And just tell us about what your goals were in writing this book and um, some of the characters and Tell us why you wrote it. Sure. Well, thank you for having me on, Brian. It's good to be with you and uh, to get to talk about my passion, which is servant leadership. And uh, after graduating college, I was uh, working in a a factory in Detroit, uh, Michigan. This is in the early 80s. And um, I spent some time uh, kind of in the HR function and after a couple of years, uh, migrated off and started a business of labor relations, uh, working basically with troubled companies in Southeast Michigan, which is arguably the toughest labor area in the world. So I learned a lot of, a lot of lessons from some being in some tough places. And, but, the, but the primary lesson I learned was that everything, everything rises and falls on leadership. And, and that was from, I learned that from being around a lot of bad leaders. Who, who didn't know what it was to, didn't know what it meant to serve people. And uh, so I was, I did that for a period of years. And uh, one of my, my next door neighbor, this is in the mid nineties now, uh, knew that I taught some, 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 some classes on servant leadership. And he said, you know, you got to put this stuff down in a book. Well, I don't, I'm not an author. And I thought that was kind of a silly idea. And I thought, Hey, the stuff I'm teaching is just common sense. Anyway, it's just, doing the right thing, treating people the way you'd want to be treated. And so um, uh, I put it down in a manuscript and lo and behold, it, uh, it got published and it, you know, it changed my life uh, pretty much completely. And uh, you know, who, who would have thought common sense isn't so common. It was, yeah. it, uh, it, it resonated and you know, Brian, the ideas are not mine. I, my fourth grade art teacher said to me, Jim, I don't think there's an original bone in your body. <laughs> and as I look back at it, I, I'm thinking, well, that wasn't very nice, but uh, you know, it's probably true. I, 
everything I write about, everything I talk about, and certainly, I, you know, I stole all this stuff, Brian. This stuff's been around a long time. Jesus talked about it a couple thousand years ago. And, you know, I'm just the baton. I'm just passing it on. I think the, the, the contribution I made to servant leadership, I think, was I was able to frame it up in a way that the business audiences could understand, and which, which was such an irony. After I wrote The Servant, which takes place in a monastery, so it's more of a faith-based kind of a book, I thought I would be spending my time in faith-based organizations once the book became popular, and uh, the exact opposite happened. Uh, it's very rare that I talk to faith groups, like talking to you is a treat today. Normally, 98% of my stuff is, is secular. You know, I do a lot of work in the military, government, secular organizations. Uh, they just were the ones that grabbed onto it, and, and the faith-based really not so much. That's one of one of the big ironies of my life. Yeah. You know, you clarified some terms in the book, which I never really thought about, but a couple of words you talk about is leadership and management. What's the difference? Yeah, that's a good question, Brian. Uh, <clears throat> one of the things I do in my book is I spend time defining my terms because people throw a lot of different words around, you know, leadership and management and culture and and love and power and authority and all these different words. And, and you know, words are important. They mean very different things to different people. So I spent a great deal of time and in, in, I've written, I'm on my fourth book now, uh, defining my terms. And, and leadership and management's a classic example of this. Uh, a lot of people think that being a good manager is what leadership is. And <laughs> I mean, I meet all kinds of great managers every week in my life, Brian, who are absolutely horrible leaders. They're great manner. They can manage things. They can plan and they can budget and they can problem solve and organize. They read balance sheets. They're even tactical, strategic in some cases, but couldn't lead two people to the drinking fountain if their life depended on it. And you know, if you're not if you're not leading, I mean, if people aren't following, you're not leading. So management's what you do. Leadership is about inspiring and influencing people to action, right? Can you can you get the fire going within somebody? Um, can you be the conductor? I mean, can you get the orchestra? Can you can you get the orchestra to play great music? You don't have to know how to play the tuba or the French horn. You've developed the skills of character and the ability to inspire and influence other people to bring their A game to the mission. And that is a completely different skill than management. And that's way more about who you are yeah. than what you do. You mentioned uh author Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great. And he had studied, you know, many businesses and found two, two qualities in all the, the best leaders of the companies. What were those qualities? Yes, uh, probably the best selling leadership book hardcover ever was Jim Collins, Good to Great. Uh, came out in 2000, 2001. And uh, yeah, a secular book, uh, but on page 30 of the book, he's, he talked about the great leaders that he found. They did this huge study, five years. Uh, I think he had 21 people on his team. They, they, they looked for the very best organizations and leaders they could find all over the planet. And they narrowed it down to 11. And he talked about these level five leaders. And on page 30 in the book, he called them servant leaders. But he said, you know, we can't call them servants because people will get the wrong idea. Uh, which is true. You, you say servant, people start getting a little freaked out. So he called them level five leaders. But he said all the great level five leaders in these great organizations uh, all had two qualities. And he said they, they weren't looking for this. It just 
It just emerged from the data. Uh, number one, they, uh, they, they were humble. And by humble, he defined very carefully what he meant by that. He wasn't talking about being meek or pitiful or, you know, I'm not a good dad. I'm not a good boss. I'm just, you know, no, no, no. They were anything but, but wimpy. They were, they didn't think less of themselves, as C.S. Lewis said. They thought about themselves less. By humble, he meant they were other-focused, right? And that's the, I, find, I found the same thing in my 30 years on the road, is that the great ones, they don't lay awake at night wondering, wondering when they're going to get a corner office or when they're going to get a raise. Uh, what keeps them up at night is, am I taking care of my people? Do my people have everything they need to win? Do my people have the tools, the training, the mission, the margin, the rules of the house? the hugs, the spanks, coaching, the, the communication. Do they have everything they need to, to create excellence? That keeps them awake at night. So they are other focused. And of course, in the military, where I, I spend a lot of time working in the military, that's, that's the first axiom of leadership. You know, get your eye on the ball and the ball ain't you. Yeah. Right? It's about your people. You're, you're here to serve your people. In the military, the word sergeant comes from the Latin word serviar, means to serve. Hmm to serve and the sergeants run the military. I mean, the, the officers like to think they do, uh, but the sergeant, you know, the frontline supervisors are the ones running the organizations in our country, including the military, because 90% of the organization reports to them. So they're here, you're here to serve, you're here to meet needs. So he said the number one quality is they were humble. They understood that they were other focused. They weren't worried about their careers. They're worried about their people focused on that. The second thing is they all had a strong professional will to do the right thing for their people and for their organization. And we have an old fashioned word for that called character, right? Doing the right thing, uh, winning the battles between what you wanna do and what you should do. Uh, doing the right thing, even when it costs you something, especially when it costs you something. I'm, I'm not sure it could be an act of character unless it costs you something. So they were humble, but yet a strong will. So not wimpy in any sense of the word, very strong and focused on doing the right thing for their people and for their organization. You know, in character, my dad used to say, uh, wasn't what you do when people are watching, it's what you do also when people aren't watching and uh, you know, you do the right thing. And it all goes back to me, just the golden rule, like you said, treat people the way you want to be treated, but many people get it in a job and they're scared and they look up to the boss and they're afraid to ask or challenge or why are we doing it this way? Afraid to get yelled at or fired. And uh, you had a couple uh, pyramids in your book where, you know, Brian, before we move on, you know, here's another example of words that people, you know, we got to be sure people understand what we're talking about when we use the word character. And you, your definition is a really good one. You know, it's, it's the person you are in the dark when nobody's looking, right? Do you behave this way even when, when you're not being watched? Um, but by character, we're not, we're not talking about your personality. Uh, my wife's a psychologist. Uh, you're, you're, she could tell you what your personality is in 15 minutes. <laughs> she could give you a written test and tell you not whether or not your, your openness, your conscientiousness, your extrovertedness, your, your agreeableness, your neuroticism, you know, that's your personality is pretty well fixed by age six. You, you don't go to a seminar and move from a type A to a type B personality. Your IQ is pretty well fixed by age 15, but not your character. Character is your moral maturity. 
the habits of the heart. That's what the Bible calls them, the habits of the heart that you have developed, the muscle that you have developed when the stimulus comes that you choose, you respond according to your values and your principles. That's the world of character, the world between stimulus that comes at us and how we're going to choose to respond. Are we going to react like a, like a two-year-old or like a tyrant or like an animal? Well, a lot of people do. A lot of bosses never grow up. I mean, they're still two-year-olds, emotional two-year-olds. I meet them all the time. But a person of character is someone who hits the pause button when the stimulus comes and responds according to their values and their principles. And they do that over and over and over again, right? When we're children, we learn this. And hopefully if you're a good parent, you taught your children this over and be patient, be kind, be a good listener, follow through, share, be a good human being, stop hurting the dog, stop hitting grandma, forgive your brother over and, and you start to develop a muscle, right? And this muscle is either green and growing or it's ripe and rotting, right? Nothing living stays the same. It's getting stronger. And this is a lifelong journey, Brian. This, is, this, this goes on your entire life. And the good Lord wants us to grow up. He right. wants us to be other focused. And that's what love is. Love is being other focused. You mentioned two other words, which I'd never thought about, but it made so much sense. And that was the difference between power and authority. Could you clarify that? You know, Brian, I, <clears throat> servant leadership made no sense to me. When I first heard it, I thought, that's kind of silly. What, what do you mean serve people? I mean, I've been, I've been in the bowels of the ship kissing all these bosses' rear ends for the last 20 years. I finally get to be a, the boss, the, the supervisor, and you're telling me I got to serve again? No, 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 no. You're supposed to be responsive to me. I'm going to call the shots now. I'm the head of the house. I'm the dad. I'm the I'm the co. I, it, it made no sense to me. I thought, serve people? In the military? I mean, come on. You know, they're going to walk all over you. Uh, and then and then a very wise person taught me the difference between power and authority. If you ever take a class in sociology, you study it. It's been around for 150 years. Max Weber, Max Weber defined it way back. Power is simply do it or else. We all know what power is. Because of my position or my might, I can make you do it. Even if you would choose not to. You must do it. You must be compliant. That's power. And you're never going to get excellence in an organization with power, with compliance. Authority, on the other hand, is, um, this, it, well, think of the root of the word, author. Authority is about what resides within you. Something that you have authored, something that you have created, something that you have given existence to, right? My, 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 my dear mother, when she was living, she had no power over me. I could run faster than her. But she had tremendous authority in my life. I would do anything for my mother. Oh, where'd she get that authority from? Reading books and watching PowerPoint slides? No, mom served, right? History is full of examples. Jesus, you know, he, uh, next time he comes back, he's going to come with power. But the first time around, he came with authority. And he turned the world, up, turned the world upside down completely. Yeah, so there's authority, Martin Luther King, Nelson Mandela, Gandhi, Mother Teresa, people who didn't have power but had tremendous authority, had tremendous influence. So authority is the skill of getting people to willingly do your will because of your personal do. I'd do it for Brian. I'd walk through a wall for Brian. 
that other supervisor, Billy, geez, somebody needs to talk to that guy. I wouldn't walk across the street for him. But, but, but Brian, man, we have relationship. I trust Brian. I know he's committed to excellence. I know he cares about me. He knows about my sick kid. He knows how devastated I am from that divorce two years ago. I mean, we have relationship. So when Brian asks me to do something, uh, I, I, want, I don't want to disappoint Brian. That's authority. Influence. I'll do it for you. But like Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. In other words, through that sacrifice and service, I mean, nobody's influenced the planet more than, than Jesus. There's not even a close second. You know, and he didn't do it through power. He did it through service and sacrifice. That's how you build authority. Same with Mother Teresa, same with Nelson, all of them. You earn it. It doesn't come with a title, a position. You must serve people. When you serve people, you build influence. The authority is, is influence. It's a two-parter maybe. Um, kind of a lost art today is the ability to listen. Where does that tie in? And, and the whole concepts you're talking about in the business world, doesn't that apply to the family as well? Yeah, the principles of servant leadership apply to every area of your life. You know, a lot of people think leadership is about being in charge or being in control. I had a group of 70 students last week from Houston, Texas on a Zoom call. They're in, a, in the band marching drill team. And I said, how many leaders we got in the room? And maybe maybe 5% raised their hand. And I said, folks, you just you flunked, you flunked the test. Everybody's a leader. Everybody, every, leadership is influence. Everybody influences people. Is this, is this band going to be better because you were here? Do you make things better? Is your neighborhood going to be a better place because you live there? Is your church going to be a better place because you worship there? Do you make things better? Are people going to be glad you were there? That's your mark. We all leave a mark. That's why everybody's a leader. In the macro, everybody's a leader because everyone influences people. And as Christians, Jesus specifically calls us to be salt and light, to influence for good, influence this planet, make a difference. So we are called to be leaders and we are leaders. The question is not, are you a leader? The question is, are you a good one or a bad one? Are you effective or ineffective? Pick one. I mean, so, so I wanted to make, make that point clear. Now, listening is a big part of leadership because it's, we're talking about people. It's all about people. One of my favorite quotes ever was, <clears throat> was from a guy, Herb Kelleher, the founder of Southwest Airlines. He said, the business of business is people. It's so basic. Without people, there is no business. It's just brick and mortar and funny looking equipment. It's all, all of life is about people. And people are about relationships. That's how they roll. So is listening important? I mean, my guy, how our relationship is gonna be based on how I speak and how I listen. That's gonna define the quality of our relationship. So it's at least 50% of the equation. It's huge. And most of us, me included, I've worked on this one for years, my wife will tell you, are not very good listeners. Most of us think we're good listeners. Most of us are terrible listeners, Brian. Me included, I'm hypocrite enough to say, and I teach this stuff. Most of us think we're good listeners. Most of us listen very selectively. When's Brian going to stop talking so I can get my stuff in here, right? We're, all, we're thinking about what we're going to say next. 
So listening is really working for a second to try to see it like Brian sees it, feel it like Brian feels it, right? That's a discipline. That's a skill. Two-year-olds don't know how to do that. It takes a lot of practice. It's listening with an intent to understand rather than listening with an intent to reply. When am I going to get my stuff in here, right? Uh, it doesn't mean I have to agree with you, Brian. It doesn't mean I don't have another opinion, perhaps. But I'm going to give you the respect to listen, to try to understand where you're coming from. And that is a skill, and that's a skill that will absolutely change your life. I've told supervisors that for 35 years. Most of them, oh, yeah, 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 whatever. We already do the listening thing. Let's get to the meat of the program. And I say, this is the meat of the program, folks. Listening is a huge extension of yourself. It's an act of love, especially when you're busy, when you don't have time, when you think you have the answer, right? To take the time with someone and work a little bit. Get in their world. Set aside the noise in your head for a second and try to see it like they see it and feel it like they feel it. That, that's, that takes a lot of effort. Most people don't want to make the effort. Life-changing, though. Great, the great leaders I know are good at it. You know, that gift of being present to others. And sometimes I find myself um, in my head figuring out a reply to what they're saying before they're done talking. Yeah. And uh, I have to catch myself on that. And uh, it's a skill, isn't it? Yes. And I, and, I, and I bring the Lord into it. When I do it, I, don't, I just really work on not worrying about my reply. I trust, Lord, that I, your, the reply will be there when it's needed. I don't have to appear smart or have an answer to all their stuff or fix all their problems or whatever. My job here is to love this person. To give, that, to give them an opportunity to be heard. So many people are never heard, Brian. My wife's whole practice was built on that. They come and pay money to talk to her because nobody will tell, listen to them. And it's so sad. It's a true act of love. I mean, don't you picture Jesus as a good listener? Yeah. I do. Because it's an act of love. It's what love is. It's, it's an extension of yourself. You, you know, in your book, the character giving the retreat is a monk named Simeon and he talks about love character and leadership synonymously uh, that they're all interrelated can you walk us through those thoughts concepts yes I talk about love a lot in my seminars and it's gotten me into a little trouble over the years you start talking about love in the secular world and people get nervous Right. You know, HR people, you know, we're trying to get sexual harassment out of the building. <laughs> what are you talking about love for? People get pretty nervous, uh, but that's okay. You know, and I, and I tell them, I'm, ta I'm not talking about the love like you're thinking about, Hollywood love, the feeling, right? Um, I'm, talking, uh, I'm talking about love, the verb. All right, so we're talking about love, right? So this really, really good question, Brian. It's important that we talk about this because people... Hollywood has pretty much butchered the word. We, always, we, we almost everyone associates love these days with, with feeling, right? I can, love, I can love all kinds of things. I can love my car. I can love my cigars. I can love vacation. I, as long as I feel good about it, I can say I love it. If I didn't feel good about it, I probably wouldn't, wouldn't use that word. Well, <clears throat> C.S. Lewis wrote about this in one of very famous books called The Four Loves, where the Greeks, you know, and the New Testament comes to us in Greek, and, they, and the Greeks had many words to describe love, four in particular, 
and three of them were used in the New Testament. One is philia, a friendship. One is uh, storge, family relationships, the way I can love my sister, my brother, my grandma. Eros, more of a passionate, sensual, erotic comes from that word. But the fourth type, the, the, the one that's talked the most in the New Testament is agape love. And it's not a feeling at all. Uh, it's not about what I feel. It's about, it's about what I do, an extension of yourself. And um, about 2,000 years ago, Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote a very eloquent passage on this. It's the most famous passage in all of literature. It's the definition of love. It's, it's read literally at millions of weddings annually all over, the, all over the planet for the last 2,000 years. And so I always challenge my audience, you know, the next time you go to a wedding, listen to the words, what, what love is. And what you're going to find is there's not a feeling on the list. It isn't about how you feel. It's about what you do. You know, and, and here's the list. You know, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not puffed up, arrogant, boastful. Love is humility. Love is never rude. It does not act unbecomingly. It's respectful. It does not seek its own. It's selfless. It doesn't take, does not take into account a wrong suffered. It's forgiving. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness. It rejoices in the truth. It's honest. Love bears all things, believes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. This is the definition of love. Nothing about, it's not about what you feel. It's about what you do. And I, I tell people, you know, my, my wife, Denise, I've known my wife since the first grade. And sometimes my wife doesn't like me very much. That may shock your listeners, Brian, but that, that, but that has nothing to do with whether or not she loves me. Whether or not she's still patient and kind and, and forgiving, thank the Lord, and still committed, still in the game, even though you're acting like a jerk, Jim, right? All in. This is, this is agape love, right? Now, look at the list of love. This is the kind of love they're talking about, the love of action, right? What do you do? So get into your question. This is the definition of love, 2,000 years old by the Apostle Paul. I would submit to you, not only is it a great definition of love, it's a great definition of leadership. This is how we serve people. By being patient and kind and humble and respectful selfless, forgiving, but also being honest. The great servant leaders I know tell people the truth. They're truth tellers. They hold people accountable to excellence. They coach hard. They hug hard and they spank hard. Yes, they do. They're pit bulls, right? Because the test of leadership is always, did people leave you better than when they found you? I mean, Jesus could be very direct, very blunt, right? It got him killed. I mean, the night he washed the disciples' feet, and Peter said, no, no, you're not doing this to me. He said, Peter, if I don't do this, you're off the bus. You will have no part of me. Jesus, this soft, wimpy Jesus stuff that sometimes I see, I tell, I tell people, you don't think accountability, Jesus was a truth teller. You didn't get that from him. He was, so servant leaders can do both the hugging and the coaching. This is what people need, right? Being a servant leader isn't about doing what people want. What my children want is way different than what my children need. What my employees want, <laughs> I'm not here to be your slave, but I am here to be your servant to identify and meet your legitimate needs. So this list, Brian, represents a beautiful definition of the needs that people have to be respected and appreciated and encouraged and common courtesy and be treated like an important person. 
right? And be for, you know, all the things that people need. Well, I would submit to you that not only is it a great definition of leadership and love, it's a great definition of character. These are all character issues. The very things we teach our kids. Be patient, be kind, be a good listener. We just covered all that, right? Forgive your brother, follow through, be committed. These are character qualities, right? You weren't born with these. And it's also a beautiful definition of integrity. That someone who has integrated the whole. That's what integrity means, to integrate the whole. This is an effective human being, Brian. This is who people want to work for. This is who people want to work with. This is, this is who people want their kid to marry. Somebody like this. And you know, Brian, I'm going to tell you one more thing. We're living in a crazy time, right? We all know this. Crazy, crazy times. And people say we are post-truth. I love this one now. Now we're post-truth. My truth is my truth. Your truth is your truth. Well, let me tell you something, Brian. I have taught this list, this list that's been around for 2,000 years. I've had that on the road with me for 35 years all over the planet in, in the most secular environments you can possibly imagine. I have never in one, not one time in 35 years had somebody raise their hand and say, I disagree. No, I'd rather my leader be impatient and unkind. I love the mean ones. I'd rather my, my, my parent be arrogant and disrespectful and selfish. I love the selfish ones, the ones who don't forgive and are corrupt, the dishonest, corrupt ones. They're, they inspire me. The ones who lack the courage to do the right thing. That's who I want my kid to marry, somebody like that. You know, I've never had one person raise their hand and disagree with this list. This is written on people's hearts, right? The moral law, which Paul talks about in in Romans too, right? That it's written on people's hearts. It is. I, I, again, I, I know that empirically from 35 years on the road. This is, this is why, or it doesn't mean we always behave this way because <laughs> this is hard. It's hard to behave this way. Love is, love is hard, right? So uh, I just want to, let me stop the share here. I just wanted to be sure. So when I talk about love, I'm not talking about how you feel. I tell, I tell executives and supervisors this every week of my life. I don't care how you feel. <laughs> I know that may sound mean and rude, <laughs> but quite frankly, I don't care how you feel. I care how you behave, right? And loving people you don't like very much is sometimes really hard. And, you know, this used to be the love. Back when I was a kid, love your neighbor, the verb in a sentence was love. Love used to be about ex extending yourself. Now it's evolved into this thing we feel. But my favorite quote, Vince Lombardi, the great coach from Green Bay, used to tell his players every spring training, used to say, I don't have to like you. You don't have to like me. But as your leader, I will love you. And my love will be relentless. <laughs> I'm going to love you to death. But here's the thing. When you leave my team, you'll be in demand in the NFL. I'm going to make you great. And it's going to be hard. And there's going to be times you don't like it. But Brian, that's always the test of leadership. When people leave you, are they better than when they arrived? That's the test. In your home, when your children leave your home, are they ready? Are they people of character? Are they effective human beings that are going to be out, go out there and be good, effective human beings that this world needs? Or if you're a boss at work, do your people tend to get promoted? Do people have a better life, a better career because they spent some time in your, under your influence? The mark you left. Did you leave a mark that, that helped them grow and move on? That's always the test of leadership. Do you leave things better than you found them?
you know, I'm glad you clarified that about leadership. You have to be tough at times and be firm. And uh, mm -hmm. in the book, if I remember the uh, military guy uh, at the retreat, he had trouble buying into this because he was used to the barking and the yelling. And, you know, how can mm -hmm. you be loving kind and be a leader? And uh, it's it's not just about doing what the people, your employees want, is it? It's, it's their no. need. It's the difference between being aggressive and being assertive. You know, there's people who are aggressive, like the sergeant in the book. They're open, they're honest and direct, but they violate people's rights. There's always bodies and blood everywhere. There's collateral damage everywhere. And we all know people like that. They're toxic and they destroy their relationships. It's not sustainable. If you're an aggressive human being, you're not going to have a, you're not going to have a good life. You're just not. You're going to destroy everything around you. So what is assertive? Assertive is just like aggressive. It's open, it's honest, it's direct. But the difference is it never violates people's rights. Why? Because respect is a rule of the house. What's respect? Treating people like they're important. So if Brian and I have to have a conversation about a gap between our standard and your performance, we have a gap here, Brian, we're gonna talk about that. And I'm gonna be open, honest, and direct. And I may even have to escalate if you don't get the point. But that can always be done in a respectful way. Treating you honorably, being kind, listening to your point of view, but yet being very direct. Brian, the gap has to go away or I'm going to escalate. That can be done respectfully. We don't have to yell and scream and, you know, spit on people and all the crazy stuff that goes on in the corporate world. I've seen this you know. in families, too, though, where people might be fighting and one starts throwing mud and below the belt and the other reciprocates and retaliates with worse and it just escalates. And at the end of it, all they remember is what the other person nasty words said. And, and there's so much, it's like you lost the even core of why you were talking to begin with. And then they don't forgive. And then we lead down that path, a lack of forgiveness. And, uh, you know, you mentioned earlier, and I want to maybe close it out with these thoughts. Again, who, in your opinion, then, was the greatest leader? Oh, come on, Brian. That's a softball. <laughs> well, you know, and I tell, I, I've, I've said this to pretty much every secular audience I've ever had. I say, okay, let's be very pragmatic here. If leadership is influence, which everyone agrees that it is, that's, that's, that's what it is, the, the, the skill of being able to inspire and influence people into action. So who, based on that definition, who's inspired and influenced more people of anyone who's ever lived? And, and, and it's Jesus Christ. There's not even a close second. It's not even close. I mean, I mean, a third, one third of the planet today, 2.3 billion with a B, self-identify as Christians. That's just today. For the last 2,000 years, how many people have been influenced by this single life? 2.3 billion, far and away the largest faith system on planet Earth, Christianity. The next largest, Islam, is, is a half the size of Christianity. And even the Muslims call him a great prophet. So before we even start, we got two-thirds of the planet that said Jesus had tremendous influence. There's no, no, no person in history that even comes within 10 miles of that, right? I mean, we have national holidays based on events in his life all over the world. 2021, 20, our very time is divided according to the number of years since he lived. I tell people, I don't care if you're a Hindu, a Buddhist, an atheist, a Muslim, 
or from the church of what's happening now here in Bodong, Egypt, no intellectually honest person can deny. Jesus had a lot of influence. I've never had anybody disagree with that statement, Brian. It's empirically unassailable. <laughs> and nobody even comes up. So what did Jesus say about leadership? He said, well, if you want to lead, you must serve. Matthew 20. You want to lead, you got to serve. And here it is 2,000 years later. We're still trying to figure out what the heck he meant by serving people. What does that mean to serve when you're a, a mother or a father or a coach or a teacher or a supervisor? When people have been entrusted to your care, what does it mean to, to meet needs? What are their needs? What's the difference between a need and a want? How do I go about doing that? You know, in the image there behind me of Jesus, the divine mercy, when he appeared to St. Faustina, he told her that he is love and mercy itself. And you've mm. talked about love so much. And if we're going to emulate and be an effective leader, love is so uh, an integral part of that. Um, Jim, I want to thank you today for joining me on Mercy Unbound. It's a great book. I'd encourage everyone to read it. I, I learned so much. As you said, there is essentially nothing new, but you put it together in such a very excellent way. I just loved reading it. The Servant, a simple story about the true essence of leadership. And uh, again, thank you for joining me on Mercy Unbound. Uh, to those watching or listening to the podcast, um, please subscribe. Pass these shows on to your friends, and uh, we just want to spread the truth and in love. And uh, again, thank you for joining me today on Mercy Unbound. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel for the video portion. The podcast can be heard at anchor.fm slash drbryan, B-R-Y-A-N, Thatcher, T-H-A-T-C-H-E-R, and on all the major podcast forums. I would love to speak at your church or conference. And please consider supporting our efforts to spread the truth to a hurting world. Thank you again. And for more information, go to the website at drbryanthatcher.com.